0: You ready? Ready, 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 spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Alright. Everybody, welcome to the eclectic ego. The oh, most have we best started recording podcast. Yet? The most best podcast of all time. Oh my gosh.
1: Better grammar. I am It's the bestest. I
0: is our good grammar.
1: <laughs> Grammar police, where are they?
0: Today we're talking about D&D because we wanted to talk about D&D, but we weren't sure how we were going to do it. Um but a whole bunch of stuff has been coming out lately and a, a bunch of unearthed arcana has been talked about um like with Ravenloft and stuff like that. Um I know you didn't do much research on that, but like Ravenloft has basically like the horror expansion that's coming out soon, um, focusing on vampires um, and other stuff, and I think it's going to have a lot more enemies, and it has it adds a couple of class subclasses. But, um, but yeah, we couldn't talk about that really because that we only know a couple of things um, about the unearthed arcana and not all the details. Um, so we picked three um, that I've come out semi recently. One of them not so recently. Um, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Candlekeep Mysteries, which just came out, and um, Acquisitions Incorporated. Mhm. And yeah, and I wanted to start. Well, we wanted to start with Tasha's because it's the only source book we
1: picked. That's
0: true. So, I I was really excited to hear about Tasha's because I heard that it made some major changes. Um, and it just, like, had a bunch of stuff. And, like, if you just look at the list of, like, stuff that, you know, was in North Arcana and just, like, got finalized and put together. You've got, like, all of the artificer stuff. Um, some, and a bunch of, um subclasses that got added for barbarian cleric druid fighter monk paladin ranger rogue sorcerer all of them um, all of them yes. and all the and some class features and stuff like that and feats that were added a bunch of feats uh most of this stuff was already in our earth arcana like you could already use it um and it was there for a while but they just put it all together finally in a book um some spells a lot of spells like a lot of really good spells and I think the thing I didn't look into much that um, I wanted to know if you knew anything about was the magic tattoos.
1: yes, but I think that's because it came uh most of the stuff revolving around the magic tattoos started kind of started with um critical role because that's the first I heard of magic tattoos mm-hmm. uh, the really um from the way uh, they did it on critical role. They were really expensive. It's a, cla- it's a thing you have to learn, like, really learn how to do. Um, and depending on which type of gem, like, which gem can basically g- give you a plus one to um, a stat, like dex. Mm-hmm. So, like, dex would be emerald and you'd have to have, you know, two 2000- thousand. I think it was, like, a ridiculous number. Of uh, gems, like five thousand crushed to make the tattoo, kind of thing, and it's a permanent feature. um That is what I learned from Critical Role. What I actually, which Critical Role then, you know, becomes canon for some reason. It's just <laughs> so I am not sure. Popular
0: thing that people yeah. watch. It's like I don't even watch it, but I know half of the things that like happens. I swear.
1: <laughs> So looking at the thing, um, basically you can um, choose different, it looks weird. I did not read up on this, but it, there, you can turn them into kind of uh, a type of item, type of thing to add to yourself that gives you plus to something or resistance to something, that kind of thing. From what I understand, so I think it probably started there on critical role, but they probably added other things to it as well.
0: Yeah, probably just to give it more
1: detail. Um, yeah, more more detail and properties and stuff. But um, yeah, but it's basically just kind of your it's same same type of thing. Uh, they have some other ones called the blood fury tattoo that sounds interesting mm-hmm. so you have to attune to your tattoos which if it becomes an item that you have to attune to and it counts as an item like that you wear and you're only allowed three uh that could be a good or bad thing i don't know because yeah because i always like items i like as many attuney items as i can get but you can only ever have 3 <laughs> mm-hmm
0: so Yeah, these are like wondrous items that like do mm-hmm. stuff and oh, they can give you like damage resistances and stuff. It looks like some of them. Yeah. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah. They're interesting. And like that could be fun for like character building and stuff like that. Like giving your character like a cool tattoo, say you're playing like a high level campaign.
1: Mm-hmm. Um or something like so, that. So yeah, um basically I guess um the magic tattoos uh if you were going to use them in a campaign i'd use them uh similar to how critical role did which would be a traveling np npc that you just happen upon that does these really killer tattoos or have them set up maybe in a large town yeah somewhere as well either way uh it's not something that's going to necessarily be really easily found but if you do find it it could be a real bonus kind of thing. I think that would be the best way to do it. Cause I don't think, Oh yes. And uh, unless your character wants to be that type of character that does magic tattoos and starts out that way, but I'm not sure that's necessarily beneficial.
0: I've, I've I've, one of my, one of my friends had a character where he would, and this was with Pathfinder though, um, where he would do his own tattoos.
1: Yeah,
0: it was like his spell book. Uh, his body was a spell book, I think. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's Pathfinder. So I totally I forgot that that was it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they they added some cool stuff with that. Um, problem with especially like taking something that everybody was like, oh, I really like that and I really want to use that, putting it in a source book makes it easier for I think DMs, especially if you want somewhere to like look up this stuff and be like i have
1: rules (laughs) i have rules to go along with that you know plus 10 resist yeah kind of thing yeah yeah it's easier if it is put in a book and that i get that
0: yeah so but um but yeah um before before we talk about like the dungeon master stuff that they added and and maybe a couple of the other stuff. Was there a thing that they added in the class stuff that you were like, I'm really happy they added that?
1: There were quite a few things. Um, honestly, uh, the barbarian, the path of the beast, looks like so much fun. It, it If you know the little cobalt I was making,
0: mm-hmm.
1: my uh, really buff cobalt, cobalt barbarian that I've come up with, that I haven't quite actually made, but is in my head. Mm-hmm. When I saw Path of the Beast, I'm like, oh, that is so him. That is going to so be him. Yeah, but so. it has to be
0: like a dragon or something.
1: Oh, no, It's of course it's going to be a dragon because a cobalt is a dragon <laughs> in his own head. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why. I'm like, that's why Path of the Beast works for him. Um, let's see. One of the other things that I saw that I was, like, really curious and possibly wanted to work. Uh, Pat, Circle of Spores, I'm glad it's finally laid out and isn't in Unearthed Arcana anymore because mm-hmm. I actually have a character I made with Circle of Spores, but the DM wouldn't let me use it because it was Unearthed Arcana. <laughs> so I could That's, actually, um, yeah.
0: So er, The Circle of Spores, like, um, I'm playing a campaign right now where... Um, somebody is, somebody is circle spores druid and you can get mm-hmm. really broken with a circle sports druid cause they're a frontliner. You can like, they are supposed to be essentially like a melee druid and they're mm-hmm. so broken once they get to like ninth level and stuff like that. There's so many good ways that you can like multi-class out and then, um, just make them stupid broken. I also yeah. like the other two druid ones, like the Circle of Stars. I want to make a Circle of Stars druid so badly. Um, and I'm using Circle of Wildfire for one of my um, NPCs in my campaign. So there's a lot of really, I like, like, those, specifically the druid ones. I thought all of them were, like, really cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, the other thing they did in Tasha's was they fixed fict- fixed rangers, because there were a, there were some problem with rangers. I know this because I'm pl- in my other campaign. I'm playing a ranger, and I kept having way too many problems. And w- one of the problems that everybody hated my pet, my you know, compa- my companion cube, mm-hmm. as I called it. Um, so when i uh, i was doing research in here i chose to get rid of my cube mm-hmm. yes i was using a gelatinous cube as a pet and it was pissing everybody off cuz nobody could ever kill it um so uh i decided to go with swarm keeper but also it adds um <laughs> quite a bit of st- a bunch of tiny has well, I- cubes <laughs> yes i said can i turn my swarm into tiny gelatinous cubes your dad was not too cool on that but anyway (laughs) i did try that at first no my swarm is um basically uh they're pixies but they don't really have eyes they just have these giant mouths with chompy teeth but they're like they have these little bodies and wings too that's but adorable. they're like, yeah. Anyway, that's <laughs> that's my swarm. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I just switched around some of the stuff. But some of the news with the way the optional class features and stuff worked, it actually fixed my uh, the other ranger problems I was having. Mm. And then choosing Swarm Keeper instead of Beastmaster um, was just for kicks and giggles on my part. Yeah. But the spells are also really cool because um depending on what you can summon, quite a few creatures. You can actually kind of be a ranger summoner kind of thing, which I'm looking forward to exploring cuz I just finally leveled up a little bit and can actually use higher level spells now. That's been cool. Um Let's see. The other thing I've used in here before because was blade singing on wizards, uh, but I used that from the Sword Coast manual. But it's got—I think it's pretty much the same here in Tasha's. But it, the fact that it's laid out here, um, yes, I made—I made a frontline uh, wizard who preferred to use scimitars and only melee fight. And he would only use spells if he absolutely had to, which is why I chose blade singing, because that worked with a wizard. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But that character maxed out to 20, so... And destroyed the world we were in. So, yeah, good times. <laughs>
0: um, and I'm just looking at, like, the names of stuff that they've also added. Like, I've seen... I've seen the Sorcerer um, class stuff with the Aberrant Mind and Clockwork Soul for a really long time just sitting in on or Ghana. Um Artificer was sitting there for a while, too. Um, and all the Artificer stuff's really cool. Like, I think my favorite is Artillerist. It's just a bomber. <laughs> you Just throw
1: bombs everywhere. Um, I've actually um, listened to a podcast that had that. I think it was a goblin who just threw bombs everywhere. It yeah. was the perfect little character. Yeah. Um, they're yeah. broken.
0: They're, they're really cool. Like, I really want to make one. Like, there's some really cool things you can do with Artificer, I think. Um, like, uh, Chris is playing a armor Artificer um, wizard. And his character is just... So completely broken on so many levels, like you cannot hit him, and if he hits anything, they have it has to hit him. It's just there's so many things going on, and like Artificer is a really good class to multi class out of, um, because you can just do a lot of things with it. Also, I think it, I think Artificer itself is a um focuses on intelligence, mm-hmm. which um. Everybody has been complaining for quite a while that there's not enough intelligence things that use intelligence as either charisma or wisdom or stuff like that instead of intelligence. So, yeah, saving throws are constitution and intelligence. So having character a character that can multi-class into wizard really easy is, prob- is something that I think people were looking for for a while.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that stands out to me um, was Psy Warrior in The Fighter. Even though I've like never played a fighter nor even necessarily wanted to, that was the only thing that stood out to me that made me want to play a fighter. Mm -hmm. Mainly because I'm obsessed with psionic abilities, especially in the D&D realm. So uh, so I'm like, oh, I kind of want that. I'm like, imagine having four attacks and using psionic abilities and yeah, all kinds of stuff. So that was one of the things that stood out to me as well. Mm. Um, and, and
0: just, uh, just to leave it, leave off like character options. Um, there's so many things, so many like different class features and stuff that they've added. Um, and it's just worth looking into, um, because it just really makes making a character more interesting. And I think one of the things that they did was. They they put in rules to be like, you can change your subclass character wise. You are allowed to do that. Like, just like, and like a bunch of things that, you know, people should know. People should know that is a thing. And I think it was, I think it was just like saying to people like we we need we see you guys playing how you want to play and a lot of like rule warriors and people that are like sticking just to source books give a lot of like crap to people who don't um who don't stick to that so say somebody somebody is like hey i'm really not liking my subclass as a character i think my character like is going to change subclasses um they put that in it as a rule, just to be like, so somebody can't be like, you know, it's not part of the rules. Because I've seen in one of the things that I'm watching, a character had a full on existential crisis in, um, in the in the game to the point of where he had it had to, he lost his class abilities and then he he multi classed into something completely different. Um, so. It, and they also added the customizing your origin thing which gave a lot of people like a little bit of strife but it's not like required you don't need to do it it's just like if you're like i don't like any of the i don't think it fits like i don't think any of the race features fit what i'm looking for then you can just customize your origin and if people really want to do that for like min maxing purposes or just like character or rp purposes that's great and i think that that's some of the cool stuff that they added to just be like an f you to rules lawyers and being like people can play the game how they want to play <laughs> instead of just focusing on just like cuz dnd i don't think anybody's ever really followed the rules to the t
1: oh you can't you can't be too whatever or it get or honestly i did see a a video on youtube kind of about this like the person who is so rule bound the dm that is so rule bound that makes it zero fun (laughs) so yeah you have to uh, be a little bit open yeah of course your players can't be like your mother where everything in the world has to revolve around them and whatever she's (laughs) thinking or try, and or try
0: and misty step onto a motorcycle moving 80 miles or more per hour. It so should have worked. <laughs> <laughs> if you had gotten a net 20, it would have. On both of them, because you had disadvantage. Um, so... You have all that, and then she, and then I'm saying she because it's Tasha. Tasha did this, and not not the people who made the book. Tasha did this, um, added a ton of spells, um, and I was wondering if there was any spells that you were like, "Yeah, this is cool."
1: Oh, I was looking at feats. Let me look at spells. <laughs> oh, if there's a feat you want to <laughs> talk about, that's fine too. Um, no, let's see. Uh, there's so well, many. Well, I've sevens. used, I've used booming blade um I didn't like green flame blade as much like I said on my blade singer uh to make my blades more interesting I actually did use quite a bit of stuff uh let me see um if any of this sticks out to me honestly if there's a lot of summoning yeah, there's a ton of summon
0: spells, like different kinds of summons, like summon undead, summon aberration, summon construct, summon an elemental, like different kinds. Well, I liked bo- Booming Blade and Green Flame Bait. I think they're really good cantrips.
1: Yeah, they're, uh, they are. Um, and like I said, I used both of them. I just prefer Booming Blade. Uh, Booming Blade is. I I have seen – I have, like, been listening to a campaign that uses lightning lure or at least tries to use it. It has never actually worked. (laughs) They never have actually hit. And I was just like, okay, lightning lure, not something I ever want if it's never – because it never works from what I've seen. So – I mean, that's the hardest part with um, cantrips. I've actually found that um, my favorite cantrip of all time came from Xanathar's and that's the Told Tol- the Be- Told the Dead. Yeah, Told the Dead. That one. Um, just because if it hits, it works good. So, and it levels up with you. There's a couple of others that are like that, like it's damage-wise, that are really cool like that. But I don't know. Um, the mind whip sounds interesting. I like whips. I actually made a character all revolving around a whip once. Oh, that does quite a bit of damage for a second level spell. Oh, intellect fortress. I've seen this used. It is, can be very useful. Is it? If you are, well, the character that usually casts it, casts it on their front i'm referring to critical role again sorry people but this is the only place i've ever seen it used intellect fortress and seen it used well Mm. um and that's uh the rogue character who basically just shoots her little hand crossbows from very far away and tries not to, to necessarily get in the fights um she also has some magic and she winds up casting intellect fortress on the mage to keep him i guess steady through the fights and um it's actually worked positively every every time it's been used that i've seen i thought it was a good idea i mean it's not perfect but nothing is but like i said some of this stuff is just really good if you're playing characters that really like to work together i mean as a mage Wasting a round to cast that on yourself can be difficult. So, it just depends.
0: Yeah. I think there's some cool spells and stuff in there. And probably just some good stuff that they added. Interesting stuff, anyway.
1: Mm. Spirit Shroud's kind of cool. I like necromancy stuff. Of course I do. I love to summon things. Yeah. Those are all good. Uh, so I like all the new spells and stuff, but um, most of these like summon things, like summon B, summon fey, summon
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't some of these other ones, not that one. But some of them uh or I can I or my um my ranger can use, which is very helpful because I don't actually have a pet. So.
0: so, moving on to feats, I'm looking at it, and there's a couple of, like, initiates that they added, like Artificer Initiate, Fighting Initiate, um, which just, like, gives you, like, a little bit into either of those things, um,
1: mm-hmm. which I always oh, think is one cool. I, the one I, I really liked was bay Touched, and, like, that could come in handy, mm-hmm. mainly because it just gives you Misty step. I like Ms- I like Misty Step, um, and on a ranger character, that's a good runaway spell if you're getting your butt kicked.
0: Yeah, for sure. The one I was looking at was Metamagic Ad- Adept, which just gives you two
1: metamagics. Yep. Which is and dumb. At two sorcery points to spend on metamagic. That's nice.
0: Yeah, you, you play a sorcerer, and then you just get metamagic adept, and you have four
1: metamagics. Mm-hmm. Uh the other one I think I would take for just on practically any character would be shadow touched as well.
0: I didn't see that. Mainly
1: one. you didn't it go down a little bit. It's basically you get an increase to one of your things but you also get the invisibility spell, which let's face it that comes in handy. That just Even if you get can, that
0: put that on an assassin or assassin rogue
1: and then you're you're set. Yeah. So there's a, there's some cool feats too that are not bad. Yeah. Oh, I like the telekinetic one. <laughs> you learn mage hand, mm. and you can make it invisible. <laughs> and as a bonus action, you can shove people thirty feet away from you. That's that's kind of <laughs> dumb.
0: That's just like my I brain's it, bigger though. than your
1: brain. <laughs> I love it. It's funny to me. <laughs> So it basically boosts the mage hand. Yeah. And makes you makes it like so you can shove people away. I love that. That is really handy in a fight where you don't have a tank. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I can see where all of this, like if you only have bludgeoning weapons, taking Crusher would make sense. You know, some of these... They're not necessarily that interesting. Crusher, piercer, you know, but slasher. But they can give you a little bit of extra bonus kind of thing, so... I understand why they're actually feats and why somebody might take them. Especially fighters.
0: Yep. So, cool feats. Um, I think the chef one should go to the, the actual chef in my campaign. Um... Oh, I thought he already had it. I didn't know I don't know if he had the feet because Tasha's hadn't come out at the time that
1: he made the character. You gain proficiency with cook utensils if you don't already have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um, and And there's a lot more magical items that we didn't talk about um besides the tattoos, um some cool artifacts and stuff. I don't think we should go into them necessarily because. No sometimes you can like a dm will like give them to you and it'll be like a cool thing so but there's a lot of cool magic items if you're like a dm and you want to go look at those um there's some done so i wanted to talk about the dungeon master tools um that they added like they talked about having a session zero and i think that that's really funny like the concept that that people won't have session zeros and like go over things with like new players or anything like it's the same thing of like giving people more rules and stuff but like they're like yeah you can have a session zero and you could talk about like what you want to do for the campaign and i'm like that is silly um the other thing i thought that was interesting in the dungeon master tools was the concept of sidekicks and running a one-person campaign did you read up on that
1: I did not, because you know me, I'm not a dungeon master. Yeah. I'm sure you discussed this at length with your father. <laughs> I did not,
0: um, so. because cause I was
1: like, I, I just
0: I just skimmed over it, and I thought it was interesting, because, so, first off, if you're running a one-person campaign, or, like, a small group, a small party, you can give your characters sidekicks, <laughs> and they give you rules, a bunch of rules on how to run sidekicks, and what it means Um, it also, um, talks about, it also talks about, like, running, like, a half sidekick party for, like, a one-person campaign of, like, what it means to do that and all that stuff. And I thought that was interesting. I didn't know people ran one-person campaigns with one Dungeon Master and one player. That sounds really sad.
1: And I'm sorry Mm -hmm. if you do. Uh well with uh until our um, our dear cousin joined this campaign mm-hmm. that's pretty much where your dad and i were at consistently having people over yeah <laughs> so yeah no it's been interesting um but we are out of the way here so yeah i understand why they can't always show up
0: um um, one more thing in the Dungeon Master Tools, it it also talks about environmental hazards. Um, um, and I think that's because they talked a lot about like different realms and stuff in this and all that stuff. What is the environmental hazard and what happens to stuff? Um, so, like, say say you have like the Blessed Radiance one, and dead get like disadvantage on everything and like. And a whole bunch of other stuff, um, and there's like a whole bunch of rules and stuff that if you have a realm, and and you're in that realm, it you can roll a one d one hundred. Well, like there's a haunted mansion one. A creature gains a fight, fright, frightened condition, and stuff like that. And there's some cool things there.
1: Mm, sounds interesting. Yeah. So
0: some stuff I I will probably end up reading up on since I have this book now and i i've been trying to use i want to use more environmental stuff so
1: yeah i think um i think sometimes and no offense to anybody out there uh dm's can overlook the fact that uh where the terrain and where you're playing i mean that's a major feature for a ranger that i have never got to use and probably never will um and i'm like but you know, it would be cool if we did, you know, if we're traveling around a lot and it became actually important in certain areas kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, making a character, um, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So yeah, maybe one day my character will wind up in a swamp because <laughs> that is my, my go-to because I grew up in the swamps and yeah. hence, hence the swarm keeper. Um, But yeah, um, I think uh, terrain can play a huge, huge way, Uh, mainly because in some of the campaigns that I've listened to podcast wise, um, some people have done some really interesting things with terrain like, oh, look, this is really hard terrain. You're going to have a hard time traveling on it. Your travel speed goes down. Um, Yeah. Or like
0: or like this is this is a spoiler for the campaign that you're currently in but like you guys are going to have a fight where and you know i don't really care if you know this like you're gonna run around it anyway um it doesn't really (laughs) it doesn't really apply to your character necessarily but like you guys are going to be in a club and you guys have to make a con saving throw um and you guys are going to be deafened the entire fight (laughs) so if if a spell casting thing requires somebody to hear the spell um or anything like that so like hold persons dominate persons all that stuff is just not going to be useful um or you're trying to talk to somebody nobody can hear you unless you're speaking telepathically um so yeah i think that you can use stuff like that or darkness like making it unnaturally dark If your characters don't have dark vision.
1: You keep doing that. And um, I have the light cantrip because I'm a paladin. So I'm sorry, honey. It just doesn't work for me. Uh, The darkness is not scary. Because I just touch things and then they become light. So I'm that cool. Um, No, uh, I think um, I'm going to... I'm not trying to say Critical Role is the only one, (laughs) but...
0: (laughs) You just need to get back on Fantasy High, okay? You just need to get back on Fantasy uh, High.
1: No, I have been listening to Fantasy High, Um, but Critical Role's... Okay, so Critical Role's current campaign was in the snowy north where uh, something messed with magic... So anytime anybody uses a level three spell or higher, they have to roll on a table, and hopefully nothing bad happens to the group. Oh, so like wild any? Magic. No, it's not wild magic. It's a, he's like customed it to something else. It's uh. really weird. But every day they travel here, they have to also make a thing a roll to see how bad the weather is, and if if it the weather gets bad and they're still traveling in it they get exhaustion points so it has nearly killed them repeatedly like just the environment itself um and yeah and to me i'm like and all he is doing is using terrain he's just using the terrain to seriously mess with them my favorite spoiler for critical role people was when they did the role on the role for the day of travel and they rolled an ancient white dragon, which they had actually pissed off before. It found them. <laughs> <laughs> Their group is not that high level, by the way. Rip. So um, an it ancient was
0: ancient one, so one of the gargantuan dragons, <laughs> like full yes, full dragon rip.
1: Yes, it was like the funniest thing. They're like. You've literally rolled an ancient white dragon. You're back in the north. It happens to be the one you pissed off and it recognizes you. I was like, oh my gosh, that was like one of my favorite critical Role moments ever. And that was just like, oh, we're rolling for the day to see what we run into as we travel through this expanse. So like really interesting things can happen in terrain. So I yeah, I would like to see more dungeon masters use terrain more interesting things can happen it doesn't have to all be you know going into the bar and stuff you know some interesting things can happen out in the wild too yeah anyway so the the controversy with Tasha's I think came around the uh, character options the customize your origin that's yeah. what a lot of people were talking about we should probably talk about that a little bit
0: yeah, so I already talked about it a little bit, where I said that like you don't have to use it, but you can, and um, I think that people's um, people being upset about that don't have an imagination um, because <laughs> it just like it it just allows you to be like, yeah, I want to be this, but I want to have these skills, and it it's not overpowered. It's it's. Honestly, I don't think that I think you could have a better character if you stick with your stick with the regular race features. But I think it does give the opportunity to have like like you could do it for your kobold if you wanted to Um, and just keep all the kobold race features, but just like change your ability scores around or you don't have to. It doesn't matter what you do, Um, because most of the time you can just get around this stuff. Anyway, without needing it, it's just for people who really, really like min-maxing, I think. Um.
1: Well, I was going to say uh, the monk I created way back when, my narcoleptic monk, that character made zero sense. They were um, not even a half. I think they might have been a halfling. No, they were a gnome. They were a little gnome who grew up amongst racist humans who thought he was a human because um, it was an evil God uh, that I grew up around. And so that particular character thought he was human, even though he was only like two two feet tall and was constantly insulting anybody who wasn't human. Mm-hmm. Like, con- like um, your intelligence, you know, is not nearly as good as mine kind of thing. I tweaked that character so it made sense. Uh, His flaw almost got him killed all the time. Because Mm -hmm. inevitably, in the middle of a fight, I would roll a three and fall asleep. (laughs) Which left me prone and very vulnerable. The fact that that character didn't die was a small miracle.
0: I also think, uh, sorry to interrupt you real quick, to Mm -hmm. give
1: your character like a
0: some sort of, like, eh, I don't know what narcolepsy is called, the uh, condition. Um, mm-hmm. Condition. I've seen people play with mental illnesses. Um, I think that makes characters way more fun, and it also gives you a rule. Like, like uh, in, in Dimension 20's Fantasy High, one of the characters has, like, panic attacks where she will just, like, stop doing things for around. round. <laughs> um, and I think that that... Or if she's the- under fear, it is more difficult for her to get out of under fear and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I think I think using that stuff, I think that's really cool too. Um, and I think, I think that that can make a really interesting character if you really in depth your character because you know the narcolepsy thing, it it can be really dumb. Hmm.
1: But yeah, so Not-
0: so you can continue
1: talking. You no, know, I was just gonna say, but that character, I. A little person, you know, learning monk skills, you know, plus his little tinkering ability, which I wanted to keep because whenever he was bored, he'd just make things. Uh, I pulled it all together in his history and then made it work the way I wanted to make it work, even though that technically monks more often than not are human. So trying to make a gnome monk was difficult. Trying to put a gnome monk in the middle of like one of the most racist places in the whole of uh, the Forgotten Realms was difficult. (laughs) Um, But I made it up and I made it work. Uh, I did this all before Tasha's came out and played that character and whatever. But all of this stuff was already kind of out there and available. if If you had a willing dungeon master to tweak it and to make it work for you. I took certain feats that made my monk make more sense. But like I said, um, all of this stuff, you can either use it or don't use it. It, I don't see why it was controversial. Yeah, It's just like you want to make a character like the, the other monk character I really want to make. On paper, isn't going to make sense because I want him to have the cool weapons and stuff he, he had in the TV show of some random tv show that i liked and i want to build that character almost as specifically as he was played in the tv show well to do that i'm probably going to have to tweak around some stuff to make it work yeah so yeah like looking
0: at this like looking at this stuff if you're looking at it um one of the things is that that it says, for example, if you're a dwarf with a con, your constitution is increased by two because dwarf and D&D are often exceptionally tough. This increase doesn't apply to every dwarf, just as dwarf adventurers, and it exists to reinforce an archetype. That reinforcement is appropriate if you want to lean into the archetype, but it's unhelpful if your character doesn't conform to the archetype. Um, and then another thing that they talk about, um is p- talking about, like, proficiencies, like, skills, um, tools, and armor. Um, and it says, These proficiencies are usually cultural, and your character might have no connection with the culture in question and might have perused different training. You can replace each of these proficiencies with different one of your choice, following the restrictions on the proficiency swaps table. And there's restrictions on the things. So you can't just have, like, 30 skills, because your character grew up in a circus and knows everything. Um, so, <laughs>
1: or something. Actually, there is a there is a character, a bard class that covers that. Yeah. So, just take that if that's what you want. Yeah. And so, it's like you can use this stuff
0: if you're, say you you have a dwarf character that was raised by elves, which doesn't make sense at all but you have a dwarf character that's raised by elves and isn't and doesn't fit the archetypes that are set by dwarf you can still have all of this stuff but if you don't want it and you would rather like really focus in on a certain areas because your character decided to go completely different of what a quote unquote common dwarf would be um then Yeah, I think it makes it I think it makes it more interesting for characters that are going to be doing stuff like that, like characters that are naturally adopted or weren't raised the way that they were. Um, Yeah.
1: And by the way, with my uh, wizard that I made that was constantly on the front lines mm -hmm. and had zero defense, Mm -hmm. literally, I'm not kidding. I actually did that on purpose. Um, most people would try and maybe up their defense <laughs> so they weren't dying constantly. But in the first part of the campaign, I died almost every fight without fail because I was the first one up there and I was hacking and slashing. But as the campaign went on, my character was like, well, I don't want to, you know, nearly die every time I play. And... So I started, my character was looking for ways to increase those abilities. Now, I could have gone a different route and increased different abilities beforehand with this customizing thing. I just, um, A, Tasha's wasn't out then, but I also actually liked how vulnerable he was in the beginning. By the end, I had by the end i had created a character with with enough magical items that put my ac like at a ridiculous amount like it's it was comparable to what my paladin's is kind of thing so um uh, but that was through a lot of hard work and a lot of death so it just depends on how you decide to play your character yeah like whenever he was about to die like, if he didn't die, he would always whip out a spell. But before that, he was always trying to use his, his scimitars. That's yeah. just the way I played him.
0: Yeah. Um, so we're, we've are we talked about Tasha's for uh, way longer than I thought we were. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I wanted to, because you mentioned before we started, you mentioned the thing about the puzzles. So, I wanted you to explain what you meant, uh, because I didn't read up on the puzzles at all, because I am terrible
1: at puzzles. So, um, okay, so this, uh, okay, I watched a particular, uh, I will mention them. I like them, I like their content, it's concise. I like concise. Uh, it's not long-winded. In other words, um, like us. I watched the yeah. I watched the Dungeon Dudes. Like them, shout out. Um, and their number one complaint about Tasha's was the puzzles. Um, and they said they were confusing. Uh, the ones that seem good. It. Basically, as a dungeon master, if you like puzzles and your group likes to solve puzzles, they were not user-friendly is, I think, how they put it. Um, that they, they needed tweaking to work. Because uh, both the dungeon dudes are DMs and players. So, uh, but as DMs, they were, like, sorely disappointed with the puzzle section. Um That's all I know. I haven't tried the puzzles. I haven't looked at them myself. But I like puzzles. I've actually had a lot of fun trying to solve puzzles um, in groups before. So that's my thing. Uh, But to find out that these ones aren't necessarily user-friendly and need a lot of tweaking, um, you know, that happens. But that was their only major complaint about anything in Tasha's that in the name so
0: um when you when I'm looking at them it's just like when I look for puzzles I'm usually going to like reddit forums for some like puzzles because usually they're explained pretty like in detail and usually they can be really easily customizable um so that's what I was looking that's what I usually do to look for puzzles I'm uh these ones i don't know what's going on with these i also don't play with dungeons much so i i'll probably look into them later and see what i can gain from gather from them at a different time but yeah, yeah. i I don't have a lot to say on them but yeah shall we talk about candle keep we can talk about candle keep um so, I think well, the concept of Candlekeep Mysteries was just like, I can't remember exactly.
1: When did Candlekeep come into existence, Narelle?
0: Um Recently. A few months ago. A month ago. No.
1: Originally, Candlekeep came out in 1987. Uh-huh. It, was popu- it was popularized in the 1998 video game, Baldur's Gate, where you actually start your character in candlekeep uh-huh. which is why i actually know quite a bit about candlekeep because i play Baldur's gate like crazy as you know so yeah that was the, the little bit of history
0: <laughs> yeah um so i think this is a this is a book with a set with a set of a small adventures um and um it's just surrounding candlekeep in general um and the concept sounded pretty fun um, when you first read into it, but um, I saw some news that came out on Twitter about one of the collaborators and writers on this um, who did one of the, um, did one of the campaigns um, said, he was like, yeah, I wrote a whole bunch of stuff for them. And they said, yeah, we're just going to tweak a couple things if that's okay. And then we'll get back to you when it comes out. And they didn't talk to him for a long time um and then when it came out when it was coming out he was like okay i'm doing all these press releases and stuff for them and um he like informed them like this is what i'm expecting for this is what i you know had and all this other stuff um uh and and uh they completely changed a lot of things and like from what I was reading like a lot of like the characters like the big like the big bad characters or whatever were um, minimized in the sense of like their characters were just like not really in as in depth as they were um, and just like um, a lot of this stuff was like not as not as well not as well crafted as he believed that he created these characters Um, and so, and I think it was, I forgot which of the book of cylinders, I think was the one that he was talking about for that one. Um, but yeah, so they completely changed his stuff and, um, he was really confused by it. So he called out, um, Wizards of the Coast, um, on that and said, Hey, um, why'd you change all my stuff and make my characters seem like they were, you know? basic like just super basic super simple characters when there was a lot more depth that I put into them and they had like more interesting backstories than I'm just evil to be evil concepts. Um so yeah, that's that's the one thing that I heard coming out about Candlekeep as soon as it came out like the Twitter thread went up. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it was yeah, Gripley was the character and yeah, so he was, he was upset, I think.
1: Um, well, I decided to read an article by D&D Beyond because, you know, I was on D&D Beyond. It's called Welcome to Candlekeep, A Beginner's Guide to the Realm's Greatest Library. And it basically... Uh, so if you want to go on D&D Beyond, it's just right there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's written by Jeremy Blum. So be- it's... It tells you the history, but it also, if you were, say, a dungeon master who wants to run something in Candlekeep, one of the mysteries, this gives you enough backstory to make things interesting um, because the Candlekeep is where the esteemed mage. Uh, let's see, what is his name? I'll. Al- Alondo the seer he's the singular sage whose prophecies have proved correct over the years it is where he is buried and it's really interesting his history the Alondro, and the prophecies and stuff and what you can work with there Um, the actual way Candlekeep is run you can't even get into Candlekeep unless you have something to offer a book to offer or they won't let you in Um, so um, there's also the catacombs underneath that make things interesting um, the staff range from the avowed um, up to other things they, they each have names first reader master readers great readers the adjuncts They're all they have weird names for the various people that work there so it's if you want to read up on the backstory that can help bring to life, kind of like how to do a mystery in Candlekeep, yeah, this is a good. This is a really good article for you, because uh, I actually was not bored once reading this article, um, and I remembered half the stuff that uh, I had originally that I actually knew about Candlekeep to begin with. Anyway, but yeah. Um, anyway, what did I mention? um, sorry, were you saying something? No, I was just like thought I'd mention that article just in case,
0: yeah, no, that's great. um, one of the things I'm seeing in like the first like bit of it is um be a sensitive dungeon master um and I think that that's a really interesting concept um because. Before running an adventure with a new group of players, have a candid out of game conversation with them about the hard and soft limits of what the topic's broached in game if I, and I know some of the stuff in here can be like I know some of the stuff in the adventures um deals with like hard to deal with subjects um so that's I think that that's really interesting. Um, especially since I like to mess with, like, horrible things that humans do or, like, car- or people do, um, in my campaigns. I think that's a good way to be, like, hey, just so you know, this is going to broach these subjects if we do this campaign. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And I think that, like, if you're this, this stuff, you could really have a lot of fun with. Um, despite, Actually, I- despite I just, the I- problems with it.
1: Yeah, I just came up with the best campaign ever Mm -hmm. in my own head. I don't know if it actually worked, but I was watching this really cool sea drama not too long ago. I'm just going to tell you this because I feel like it. Um, And in the sea drama, the main character was a part of the martial world. Like he grew up in the martial world, but then lost all his martial abilities. Because of brain damage. And he. But he was really really smart. And a really good detective. And I'm like what if I created this character. That couldn't fight. Was super duper squishy. But he's. Because this character runs around the martial world. In in the TV show. Um, surrounded by. Uh, an assassin. A kind of barbarian type. And. Uh, several monks and healers, as well, like, are all surrounding this guy, keeping him alive so he can solve all the mysteries. I'm like, what if you did a uh, like a campaign where the character in the middle has you have to keep him alive because he's the only one who can solve all the mysteries. And you did all the mysteries in Candlekeep because everywhere you turn around and after you solve one mystery you run into somebody else and oh my gosh you know. (laughs) Look dead people again. Oh we're going to have to solve this now. (laughs) What if you geared a campaign that way? That would be so interesting.
0: That sounds like fun. Um, Yeah. Having giving like the DM a character that is easily easy to kill um (laughs) is always fun um so yeah i mean that is not a bad idea for a campaign go ahead steal that
1: people i'm i'm like yeah go ahead and please tell me how it works out because i actually really loved that sea drama i was like obsessed with it i'm like this guy's gonna die oh my gosh how did he not die
0: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so if you guys are interested in like candle keep in general um I think that they're going to make the changes that the person who had the problems asked her for. Um I don't know. I haven't heard anything since. All I've seen is the article explaining why they were upset. Um and most of the most of the D&D source books you can find for free anyway, so you don't need to buy it. Um so yeah. There's that. So if you don't, I don't feel mind. like
1: If you don't feel like uh paying for them. Yeah um i don't i don't know all right anything else on candle keep not really okay we can talk about acquisitions incorporated
0: yeah i really liked this concept do you want to talk about the history
1: i honestly looked into the history and there isn't much history (laughs) okay so from what i i gathered um I can't remember any of their names. They're really famous people who um, are in Dungeons and Dragons and have written lots of stuff, but can't remember their names right now. Sorry. Um. Ah, uh, they started this campaign, and they wanted it to work around a corporate structure, which then morphed into a franchise structure.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: brand. so just so just anybody could do it. But um, yeah, uh, from what I can tell, the original guys who started it kind of did it as a joke. But it turned out to be something that a lot of people got interested in. And they eventually came out with the content that just anybody could build their own franchise kind of thing and -hmm. be a part of it. And I think it's a really good concept, that business, you know, corporate aspect of it, you know, because how many groups are more interested in Uh, getting the magic items, uh, you know, making the money so they can get their own castle and they can send other people out to do the little work and that kind of thing. So I think it's a good concept that a lot of um, your basic dungeon groups would fall into. But I also like the funny side to it, that it can be very funny. How... Especially if you've ever worked corporate in a corporation.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So there's a lot of things in here. Um, You get spells. You get a race. Um, There's a bunch of, like, characters, NPCs, preset, um, monsters, vehicles, all that stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Um, And I think what I really like about this is stuff that I'm I'm just going to steal, like, conceptual stuff from here for mine. But, like... I really like that like you can just you can just make it like a company. Um and I think that that can be really easily easy to RP and really easy to have fun with if especially if you have like new players and stuff because it makes it makes it closer to what we are in our world. Um yeah, and I want to steal some of this stuff because I'm going to be doing a college campaign. And I think college students would be more attuned to doing something like this. And if you mix stuff from this and add, um, uh, what was it called? Not Tasha's. Guildmasters Guide to Ravnica. Some stuff in there with like the guilds. And stuff, it, it, they, pretty, they can mesh pretty well. And so since I'm stealing a bunch of stuff from there, I'm going to steal a bunch of stuff from this and just kind of all mesh it together. And I think that that's what I really like about having, looking in all these source books is that you can steal a bunch of stuff um, from them and just like mesh them all together.
1: So one of my favorite parts of this is the player options. Mm-hmm. So barbarians in the corporate world. For every CEO building up or bringing down businesses, it's a safe bet. There's a barbarian standing behind them. And I just thought about that. And I'm like, that is so funny and so true. And like how to play a barbarian, but in a fun, you know, way like, oh, is it? Oh, I'm not I'm not allowed to kill this guy. Okay, I just beat him to death, beat him a lot, (laughs) maim, hurt, you know. Having different things. I liked that. I like the the ideas like behind bards. The bards as well. Like, Mm -hmm. how do how do you make a bard that works in the corporate world? Well, uh, they're if they're charisma based and whatever, they're plecky, maybe a good salesman, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know. I just I find this stuff absolutely fascinating. So yeah, and I, it can I,
0: it can be totally I think it easy to make it fun.
1: Yeah. Um a, a cleric. I have faith in diversification. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's just funny to me. <laughs> Divine deals. <laughs> Name a more iconic
0: profession. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry.
0: That's really funny. Yeah, so this yeah. one's this one's just a good it's a good yoke. Um, and it's a, just a good
1: thing if you want to take
0: some of these concepts and put it in your own campaign. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it's fun,
1: yeah. Um, also, uh, on a fun note, the way I actually found out about this was in one of my uh campaigns, uh, for I think it was a Christmas time campaign, yeah, it was. Um, if they They ran an Acquisitions Incorporated uh, campaign. It was a one-shot kind of thing where they were supposed to help the intern get through the intern training. Mm -hmm. The intern died. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The only character to die was the intern. (laughs) It was so funny. Um, But yeah, how um, Acquisitions Incorporated treats their interns is is hilarious but the lawyers involved as well was funny so when i heard that little one shot i kind of became obsessed with this i'm like that could be so much fun it's right up my alley on weirdness and fun
0: yeah anything else for anything we've talked about today
1: um no uh not really uh like I said uh, we were trying to keep it relatively short <laughs> so yeah
0: I mean I think we just got a little ranty about um, Tasha's cause yeah there's some people who found something problematic in Tasha's that didn't seem to be the focus of it
1: um, but yeah yeah uh, definitely uh, if you haven't gotten Tasha's I would look into it if you don't have any of the other source material most of what I've heard most of what's in Tosh's has been printed in other books it just compiles it in a more direct way um, that is one of the re- that is like five of the reviews I heard about it so they all said the same thing uh, I would definitely check it out just because it adds more flavor to quite a few of the things that's all yeah for sure and
0: um yeah let us know if you guys like us talking about D um i've been running a campaign and been reading a lot of stuff up um on and a lot lately um i've just started i just bought ravanica for my campaign um and i'm just gonna steal a bunch of stuff from it because it's a very well written one and that one's based off of magic the gathering i think
1: Yeah, your dad's campaign's been running around that, but he didn't buy it. So, did you buy it for your dad? (laughs) No, I bought it for Roll20. So, if he wants to
0: use my Roll20, he can.
1: Okay, you should let him know, because I think he's been just, like, winging it. (laughs) (laughs) It might help him if he actually has the source material.
0: Well, he has the source material. Like I said, you can get all the source books for free.
1: Oh, you can? Yeah. I like to buy things.
0: Yeah, I know. Um. <laughs> no, I, I, and there's a sale I think going on right now for sourcebooks. Oh,
1: so cool.
0: you should look into that and see if you want to get it for dad on D and D and beyond. I know you guys use that more than roll twenty, but I have to run my campaign because everybody is living in different countries, and Maddie is going to be moving to Norway. So,
1: and D and D Beyond <laughs> only runs in America.
0: No, um, it doesn't. It, it. I just. I have started my campaign in Roll20 and I'm not going to move it over to D&D and Beyond. It's also, I know Roll20 um, and I, from what I can tell in D&D and Beyond, you can't run it, you can't run a campaign as in depth as you can. You can have, you can have great um, character like sheets and stuff, but it is, it is, I think D&D and Beyond is more useful if you want to have character sheets and stuff for in-person playing um but for roll 20 it's better for the maps and stuff and you can actually do stuff on there so
1: <laughs> our complaints i prefer D beyond but i also prefer to play in person too
0: yeah i if i could play in person i would i would love to run an in-person campaign but i would also get nervous well, and
1: probably stutter go a lot m- go make some friends
0: i have no friends
1: learn some korean make some friends
0: no i've seriously i've met mentioned (laughs) D &D to people in korea multiple times
1: and they're like what the heck are you talking about
0: and unless they've seen stranger things they don't know what i'm talking about (laughs) that's so funny and even then they're like what do you even do um (laughs) so yeah no it is not popular here
1: oh you poor thing no good thing you're moving home eventually Good thing I'm
0: getting out of this horrible, disgusting, ugly country.
1: <laughs> really, is that how you feel?
0: No. I it is it is a fine place. It is a fine place to visit. Anyway, we're ranting about nothing. We might as well end the podcast. <laughs> Shall we? <laughs> yes. Goodbye. Um <laughs> at Eagle Eclectic for uh social media is the eclectic eagle podcast at for Gmail stuff. All that's in the description. Uh, thank you for listening to us talk about this d Thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye now. Bye-bye.